0: welcome to Sedaris my name is Dave I'm one of the pastors here go ahead and grab a seat if you've got a copy of the scriptures you can pull it out and turn to John chapter 14 if you don't have a Bible there are some that look like this right in the seat back in front of you feel free to grab one of those if you do we will be uh, on this particular Bible we will be on page 957 Feel free to google it, look it up on your phone, whatever your fancy. Excited for our time of teaching today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for another chance to open your word, to hear you speak to us. Give us big ears. Help us to hear what it is you're trying to tell us today. God, we know you'll say something unique and special to each one of our hearts and minds, the exact thing that we need to hear this morning. You've brought us here for a reason. This is no accident. Help us to come and, and listen to what you're saying. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so, raise your hand if you've ever been frustrated by prayer. Has anyone ever been frustrated by prayer? Okay, let's see. Okay. So we've got some truth-tellers, some people not paying attention, a couple of <laughs> people. Okay, so, yeah, prayer can be frustrating. It's something God clearly tells us to do. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Jesus models prayer for us. I mean, praying, praying is just such a human thing. I mean, pretty much every culture, every religion has some form of prayer. Prayer's just a thing. It's almost like innate to... Feel like prayer is a thing. And then we think, okay, if we follow Jesus and the way, like we talked about last, Jesus will teach us how to pray. And Well, it just still seems to be frustrating at times and still seems to be challenging. And we believe in a God as Christians who is mighty to save and mighty to act. And, and we believe that he is not some distant, far-off Maker God who has sort of set up the world and then lets it run and we, we know that he interacts I mean that's the whole gospel that God came in the person of Jesus God the son put on flesh came but so God is not detached from the world he's very much in the world and he remains in the world and next week we'll talk about Jesus saying I'm going to send you my spirit the spirit of God is going to come and be with you and so you would just assume that if we pray like Jesus told us to pray that uh, you know more would happen, right? Like, it wouldn't be so frustrating. Like, why isn't God answering my Did he take the day off? Did he take the day off? Did he take the year off? Did you take the decade off? Where are you, God? Are you listening? Right? Is anyone else frustrated? I'm frustrated. I mean, I've been praying for some stuff for like a while now that I, why wouldn't he answer? Maybe he can't. Maybe he's not even listening. Maybe he doesn't even frustrated. And then I come to a passage like the one we read today, and it seems God wants to do what I pray for. So how do, do I how do I deal with that? So let's read it together. I mean, we're off to a positive aren't we here? Let's, uh, this is, you feel the end. Okay, here we go. So Jesus has just finished saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We talked about that last week. He's saying, anybody who wants to, to know to the Father, I'm preparing a house for you, and I'll bring you to where I am. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the things the Father does, That's the things I do. The things I do are the things the Father wants done. We're one. And then he comes right here to verse 12. He says this. Truly, truly is actually in the Greek. It's two of the same word, which is amen, amen. Truly, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. He will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father be glorified in the Son. He says this. If you ask me in my name, I will do it. Right there. If you ask me anything. In my name, I will do it. It's clear as day. Now, if you just think, okay, well, maybe he misspoke. Maybe we missed the translation here. If you go over two additional uh, chapters to chapter 16, you could turn with me in the Bible to chapter 16, verse 23 to 24. Jesus repeats himself. He says, In that day, 1623, in that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Okay. If, if, if you've got a paper, circle joy. We're going to come back to that, that your joy may be complete. So, two times. In Jesus' final speech, remember we talked about this last week, we've started now the farewell discourse. This is right before Jesus is arrested, and then convicted, and hung on a cross, and then lies in the grave, and on the third day, rises back. So this is right before this, the last big speech, and John gives us uh, just an insight into the final things Jesus says, twice in that. Jesus will say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I'll do it. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Okay, I'm asking God. Where are you? Seems clear. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So clear. Well, Not so fast. (laughs) If we helicopter into a verse like this, and we put it on our, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, you put it in the bathroom, always with the scripture in the bathroom. Have you noticed this? (laughs) What's going on with that? (laughs) You hang it on the wall in the kitchen, You know, and you think it's clear as day. If you ask anything in Jesus' name, he says he's going to do it. We're reading the words of Jesus in context. Can't just helicopter in, pick up a verse we like, throw it with some cool word art, put it in the bathroom. You can't do that because these are words in context. So, what's the context in which we see it? The context is key. Now, believe me, there are so many Christians, You, you may be one of them, and it's okay if today. You repent. <laughs> Get some word art for the wall. I'm going to give you a quote today that would be great for the bathroom. You say, from Dave. <laughs> okay. Believe me, there's, there are Christians who take verses, they helicopter them, and they pick them up, and then they build out huge sort of theologies of how God works based on a passage like this. But they totally miss the context. So... Context says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask me anything, anything in my name, and I will do it. If it's what the Father is doing and that what I am doing, because that's what you will do. You see it? Miss it. So the one who believes in Jesus will do the works that Jesus does. How do we know what his works are? Like, how do we know if we're doing the works of Jesus? He tells us that right there. He says, It's the things that lead to the Father's glory through the Son. So, the things that you do that lead to God's glory in the Son, in the name of Jesus, that is the works of Jesus. How does he say it? Jesus says, So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the work of God, that's the work of Jesus. And that's now our work and so that's what Jesus is saying when you do that and you ask me to help you with that I'll do it Whew. okay now, so this can be tough right like one of the things we have to recognize is that many times we think we're doing the work of God the work of Jesus And we're wrong, (laughs) okay? Like, this is just human history played on repeat over and over again. Oh, I'm definitely sure this is what God wants us to do. Let's do it. Oh, shoot. That was a bad idea. Rinse, repeat, do it again. So that is not as easy as it sounds, right? Okay, so just do the things. Okay, so what are the things? Okay, Scripture makes it abundantly clear, abundantly clear, that more often than not, we do not know exactly the plans of God or how God will accomplish this glory project through the Son. In fact, the entire Old Testament is just the people of God missing the mark, getting it wrong. Almost and then crash, almost and then crash, almost and then crash. So much so that you just can't help but just sit at the end of it being like, how could this possibly work? If you weren't here last week, you're not going to understand this. There's no way. We just keep getting it wrong. We've been getting it wrong for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's no way we can get this right. Yahweh. Somebody last week said, you missed your chance, Dave, to make an awesome joke. And I said, I'll get it. They let me up here every week, so I always get, I always get invited back to the club. Okay, so no way is how Old Testament le- leaves you. And then Matthew starts, right? There was a young woman who became pregnant, and the incarnation, guess who came? Yahweh. Yahweh is the way. That's what Jesus just said. Yes, way. And I'm the way. Yes, someone who's only human, just human, will always fall short. But when God took on humanity and the God man Jesus Christ lived the life that we try to live but can't live, died the death that we should have died for the penalty of our sin, and then rose from dead like no other man could, then there's a way. That's the gospel. And so that story, I mean, just how many times did the disciples hear Jesus say he had to go die to atone for the sins of the people? And they said, no way, we're not going to let that happen, we'll stop you. Because when we try to do God's plan without listening to God and surrendering to God, we always miss it. We have the whole Old Testament to show us how we got that wrong, so maybe we should try it a different way. And so Jesus is going to tell them, this is the way that you get to participate in the glory project of God through the Son. And just remember, you'll usually get it wrong, just if you just think with your own head and how you would do it if you were king, you'll probably get it wrong because you never saw this coming. So what do we do? First, we acknowledge just every single person who, even loving God, tried to do it their own way, always got it wrong. And that leads to humility. And so when we are humbled by our ineptitude to do the work of God on our own, what should come out of that? Where does that lead us? Well, it leads us directly into the next thing Jesus says to do in his speech. He says, you're going to do the work so that... Of God, just like I did the works, or my works, just like I did the works of the Father. And then he's going to say, what? You usually get it wrong, so this should lead you directly into prayer. It's the only way. Prayer. When we are called upon by God to do the works of God, but we normally get that wrong, the first thing we should do is not go and act. The first thing we should do is get on our knees and pray. The posture of prayer is a posture of admitting that we do not exist for ourselves or that, that, we, that God exists for us, but it acknowledges that we exist for God and on our own we typically and usually get it wrong. That's the posture that we need to come to in prayer. Now, before I jump into prayer, because I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about the right way to pray, let me read you something that Edward Klink III, scholar that I was reading this week. What a great name, Edward. you ever think about that, that's a great four-minute conversation topic. If you wrote a book, what would your writing name be? Mine would be D. Marcus Evanger. Check your local, wherever you buy books, just, just see if I've got anything out there, I don't, just, <laughs> but one day, D. Marcus, my middle name is Marcus, named after my father, D. Marcus, that sounds like a scholar, doesn't it? <laughs> Davy Vanger, It <laughs> sounds like a, a preacher or something, <laughs> D. Marcus, that sounds legit, so Edward Klink III, <laughs> he's a scholar, he wrote this, listen close, This passage makes an important, and now he's going to talk about verses 10 and 11 included in 12, 13, and 14. But he says this passage, this chunk of Jesus' speech, makes an important connection between the work of Christ and the work of the Father. "...without denying the need to distinguish them based upon an appropriate understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity." The Father and the Son are inseparable, and their expression through the work of the Son is inseparable. But there is more, uh, there is more to the work of God that is inseparable from the work to be, than from the work to be done by Christians." And this is the way it is supposed to be. For Jesus' departure, in fact, is an intentional continuation of the same work of God. As we discussed above, Jesus magnifies the work to come. We're going to see that in a sec. He says, greater works will you do. He magnifies the works to come. Where am I? Lost way. Magnifies the works to come because the works to come those that include those who believe are the works of the risen and exalted Lord in the new era of the new covenant. Oh, church, he says. And a guy like Clink III says, oh, church. I mean, you know he's feeling it inside. Oh, church, you are participating in the power of the risen and exalted Lord and the works of God. You are called to facilitate the work of the kingdom of God, bestowing the blessings of God, to the nations by, empowering, by the empowering spirit of God living in you. We'll get to that next week. You have been commissioned by God to do the work of God in the world. Be faithful. Like that is what you've been commissioned to do. The work of God. So I don't, I don't want to miss that as we're talking about prayer Because prayer means nothing if you don't accept the commissioning to do the work of God. Otherwise, you're just thinking of God like a genie in a bottle. But if you're thinking about God like this, that the Father has sent the Son, and that the Son will send the Spirit, and that all is a continuation of this great cosmic work that God is doing to bring all things together through the sun. If you see what you're doing, you will get on your knees and you will start to pray, God, don't let me miss my opportunity to be commissioned by you to do the great commission. Like, this is what you've been called to. Do you feel the privilege? Do you feel the power of God? Like, I think we miss this sometimes. And that's why we're so frustrated in prayer. I didn't get the job. I didn't get the girl. What are you doing, God? Don't you want me to be happy? And he's saying, no. I want to glorify the Father through the Son and invite you into this cosmic story and you get to be center stage for this new era of the risen power of Jesus Christ and the Spirit. Don't you want that? No. I just... I want two sinks in my, in my bathroom. Right next to the the word art that says, pray anything and I'll do it. (laughs) That's what I want. (laughs) Okay, I've been there. Like, we're just dreaming too small, people. That's all. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just saying, like, there's something bigger that Jesus in his farewell discourse calls you to. And you just need to say, okay, teach me how. So how? How? How do we learn to pray with this in mind? The commissioning by God to his work in the world. How do we learn? What does this posture of prayer actually look like and feel like and require of us? To answer this, we have to put this piece of it and wrestle with it. Oh, and wrestle. You know what wrestling with it means? You're like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, is that true? Is that really true, Dave? Yeah, you gotta wrestle with it. The first piece of this that you need to wrestle with is this Is prayer fundamentally about requesting and receiving? I make my request to God and I receive from God. Is that what prayer is fundamentally? Or is prayer fundamentally about surrendering and listening? What is it? Requesting and receiving or surrendering and listening. Now, you guys are smart. You probably know how I'm going to answer it. But I just want to say that doesn't mean we never ask things of God. Of course we do. But what is it fundamentally? So the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? This is at a different time. And, and Jesus says, pray like this. And this is the great Lord's Prayer. Can we recite it together? Let's just recite it together. I think many of us know it. If you don't know it, that's okay. It's one of the things you learn when you become a Christian is to how to pray the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray like this. He didn't say, just pray this. He said, like this. So what does he say? Our Father, say it with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Pause. (laughs) Well, get to the bread part, Dave. (laughs) Well, Jesus didn't put the bread part first. He put the, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What's that sound like? That's what we're talking about here surrendering to the kingdom coming as we will be surrendered in heaven. Like I said last week, you will not like heaven if you have a great idea of what your mansion will look like. And you get there and it's like a doodad connected to the Father's house and you got to hang out with all these Christians. And the Father's there. If you don't like that, just it's okay. Just, Just know that's not the plan. It's the Father's house and the Father's kingdom... And the sun is there, and, and that's the way it is. And so, when you pray, he says, pray that that reality takes over this reality. Not that your reality, the thing you want your life to be, takes over this reality. So That's how he starts. But I want to say, what does he say next? Let's keep going. Give us today our daily bread... And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others. Then he was going to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And and, and the different gospel says, and the evil one. And then we add this thing on. I don't know if it's the English that did this or whatever, but... (laughs) For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I think that's good, too. Let's pray that. But we're requesting the forgiveness of sin... We're requesting our daily bread. My guess is many of the times you pray, you ask for more than that, right? That's okay. We can ask anything of God, but when we ask, just know when he was asked how should we pray, he said daily bread and forgiveness of sin and not being led into temptation. It doesn't mean you can't ask for the job or for the strength on the big test that's coming. I mean, if you want to ask for a parking spot, you can ask for that. Just know, like, I sit in my office and I see at 10 o'clock that thing's full. You'll be fine if you just pray to be able to get up 10 minutes earlier. (laughs) I mean, that parking lot is full. (laughs) There's always a spot. Prayer answered. Okay, so just get up a little earlier, get here a little bit earlier. Church starts at 10. You say, no, it doesn't, Dave. Yes, church starts at 10. The music starts a little bit later. Did you know that? That church is not music. You don't turn on. Yeah, amen. Yeah, thank you, Tylene. Let me get on my soapbox here for a sec. Now, I am late to every meeting. That I'm, I'm a late person, so I get it. So I have so much sympathy, empathy, and love for you. But church starts at 10. There are people fellowshipping here, churching here, ecclesia. Church means ecclesia or gathering. Okay, so it starts at 10. Just know that. And the parking lot's just waiting for you at 10. Okay. That, I don't know, why did I bring that up? I'm just passionate about parking. Okay, so you can pray for anything. That's fine, but don't be frustrated then when God doesn't give you the things. Unless the things that you're praying for are praying for that you might participate in the work of God. And, you know, it's good to pray for daily bread and forgiveness of sin and release from temptation and evil and evil and those are all good things but I think sometimes we miss Jesus starts with pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven which is very similar to what he's saying here you get to do the works and if you pray if you ask me anything related to the kingdom coming I will do it if it's part of my plan if it's how I'm bringing it I want to do it I want to give you I want to answer your prayer in this context okay so I love Romans 11. Okay, I love Romans 11. If you want to turn, I realized I didn't tell George to put this on the screen. George, can you quickly throw this up on the screen? George, George is the man. Okay, so this is Romans 11, 30 to, to chapter 12, 2. So George will get that up there. You can turn with me if you want in your Bible. This is Romans 11, verse 30. And I told this is so funny. I'm, I'm getting in the mood of si- sharing funny things that people say to me. I'll, if you don't know George, George is the Kingdom Come on Earth as it is in Heaven. He's a great man. I really love George. And George, George is doing slides for us, and and I said, he said, well, is there any other scripture to put in there? And I said, no, I think this week it's just the two verses. Well, I've already quoted some other stuff. And now I'm giving him a, you a very long text. And what George said to me, was just so funny, he said, Oh, so that means it's going to be a shorter sermon, right? <laughs> and I said, We'll see, George. That's what I said to you, right? I mean, you can ask him. I said, We'll see. I forgot about Romans, George. So I just have to unpack the entire argument of Romans real quick. It's is an easy one. Romans easy. Let me just tell you. So Romans chapter 1. No, okay. So in verse 11... Paul's talking about the Romans, because he's writing the letter to the church in Rome, which mainly were Gentile Christians. And they're kind of asking him questions about Jewish believers, or not yet believers, the nation of Israel, where all the Old Testament promises were for them. And so he's this is what he's talking about in, in 11. So I just want to give you that context. And he says this. So did we get that up, George? Yes. Okay. Chapter 11, verse 30 says... And I'm gonna use um, I'm not from the south, but I lived in Dallas for four years and I realized that y'all is just a better word to yes, thank you, to explain the reality. So if you're reading your Bible, it says, as you, which you know, is he talking about one person? Is he talking no, he's saying y'all. So I'm gonna use y'all. So as y'all, Romans, once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy, if you've got your Bible underlined mercy. You've received mercy through their, that's Israel's, disobedience. So they, that's Israel, too, they also, have now disobeyed, resulting in what? Mercy to y'all. That's Romans or, or, or Gentile Christians. So that they, Israel, also may now receive mercy. Underline again, mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience. But God's allowed this. He's allowed all of us, Gentile, Jew, to walk in disobedience. Why? So that he may have mercy, underline it again, on all. No one's special. No one's unique. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have lost our chance to be image bearers of God, to represent the king. All of us. Jew, Gentile, young, old, American, not American. All of us. We're all sinners, is what the Bible says, which just means we've all fallen short of the glory we once had, the chance to be used by God. We've all fallen short. But God wanted to show mercy on us all. That's what Paul's saying. And then he sings a song. He says... Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. <laughs> We've been talking about that, right? For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, and who has ever given to God that God should be, or sorry, who has ever given to God that he, the person that gives to God, should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He sings a song. Then he unpacks it for us, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. You may have heard this. This is another one of those great helicopter verses on the bathroom wall. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. How many times did he say mercy? In view of the mercies of God, because you had ruined your chance to be used by God, you'd been created in his image and you'd fallen short of the glory and you'd stained yourself so that you could no longer be used by God because he had mercy on you and sent his son to die for you and washed you white as snow and put you back together and then gave you the commission to go do the work of God. Because of that. I urge you, Paul says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good pleasing, and perfect will of God. So prayer is you surrendering and presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice because you know of His mercy to you. When you know what He's done for you who did not deserve it, but he gave you his son anyhow, the greatest gift of grace, instead of what you deserve, which is death. When you see that, how can you not surrender yourself and present yourself to the living God who says, I still have something for you to do? That's what Paul's saying. Let God use you as an instrument for his work in the world, his glory in the world. Yes, you don't understand it. You never have. Who knows the ways of the Lord? Who knows the mind of the Lord? But you present yourself to Him, and I'm saying in prayer, so that He can renew your mind through the reading of the Word. That's prayer too. I meditate and I pray the Scriptures so that they would transform me into somebody who can be used for God's glory project. That's what this is about. So if you feel like you're praying and your prayer is in vain, ask yourself, are you primarily requesting and receiving or surrendering and listening? You'll be way less frustrated if you pray like that. God, use me. How do you want, what do you want me to do next? Where should I go next? What should I do? God, transform me. Renew my mind. Help me to discern what is indiscernible in any other way except that you reveal it to me. Help me, God. I want to do your will. I want, to, I want kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want. That's, I don't need my kingdom. I don't need my stuff. I need my daily bread. I need forgiveness of sin. Keep me from temptation, and I want to be used by you to do what you're doing in the world, and I don't know exactly what that is. Help me see it, God. I'm surrendered in prayer. I'm listening. Help me. That's prayer. And Jesus says, if you pray like that, in this way, ask me anything, I'll do it. And you'll have my power, my resurrection power. I will send you my spirit and he will indwell you and you will do things and see things that you could not imagine if you pray like that. Our boy, Edward Clink III, said another very... Beautiful thing. He said, prayer, listen up. Write this down. If you need to get out your phone because you don't know how to write notes, that's cool too. Just make sure this gets recorded somehow. This is as big as the gala-gala question <laughs> that Peter got for. Like, you gotta get this right. He said this, Edward Klink III. He said, prayer is not, not best described as accessing God but as being accessed by God let me say it again so you can write it down prayer is not best described as accessing God but as being accessed by God So what gets me most frustrated, and 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 Ty and Ryan can tell you because this happens on staff, gets me so frustrated is if you consider yourself to be a praying person and you don't end up doing the things that Jesus did, like if you're not passionate about the things that Jesus was actually passionate about, which includes evangelism, sharing the gospel, the Great Commission, that includes making disciples, that includes gathering in his name and worshiping, but you say, I'm a prayer person, I I get so frustrated because what I'm I'm telling you today is, you ain't talking to God. You're talking to somebody else. When you talk to God, whatever the Father is doing, the Son does. Whatever the Son does, his disciples do. There is an unbreakable chain. There's not like, well, I know Jesus did these things, but I'm going to do these other things you're not actually being accessed by God. You might be meditating. You might be silent and thinking. But if you are not doing the things that Jesus did and was passionate about and sent you to do, it's just not working. You need to learn to pray differently. Like, honestly. I see this all the time. I'm 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 not primarily thinking about our church, just so you know. If you're like, dang, he's mad at us. No. It's like, in, I, I meet with so many churches and different movements and things, and, and sometimes I'm baffled because I say, are you sharing the good news? H- how, how do you guys do that? We don't to do that. We don't do that. We just, maybe they say we pray or, you know, we help the poor in the home. I was like, like, did you read the Bible, the Gospels? What is Jesus doing? And why aren't you passionate about what he's passionate about? You're not actually communing with God if you're not passionate about the things Jesus was passionate about. So when we are praying, it's primarily we're surrendering as instruments and vehicles for God's mission in the world to what he wants us to do. That's prayer. And he will give us, he will nudge us. It doesn't mean we can't ask him for things, we should do that. But just make sure that's not the only reason we're going to him is to have him give us stuff. So ask yourself, how much different would my prayer life be if I prayed like this? How many fewer disappointments would I have in my prayer life if this is how I prayed? Which brings me to my next question. What if not only were you disappointed less at the seemingly unanswered prayer requests, what if you were actually delighted more in God's guidance and Him speaking into your life? What if it's not just about less disappointment, but more delight? That sounds good, right? Like, how can we not delight in the fact that God says, I'm listening to you when you bring to me your heart? How does that not delight us? Well... If we want not just less frustration but more delight, we've got to first ask, what do you delight in? That might be actually where you have it wrong. What do you delight in? Delight in the New Testament. Remember what Jesus said in the second passage he said circle joy? In the New Testament, the word for delight and joy are the same word. So Jesus says, I want to give you everything you ask for so that your joy may be complete. But he's saying it in the context of if you're praying for the things of the kingdom of God. So so this word charis is joy or delight. And, And in semantic languages, this idea of joy is often expressed idiomatically, for example, as saying, my heart is dancing. My heart is dancing. We're about to sing a song about, say, God, take me back to when I first met you and I was dancing in the fields because I was so Filled with delight that I knew my creator and my saver, my redeemer. I was so filled with delight. And something happened over year after year of following him that I no longer delight. Go back to the beginning. Go back to where it started. Remember the delight you had when you found out you had an Abba, a father, who loved you enough to send his son to die for you. Go back to the beginning. Delight in the Lord. And when I come in prayer and I surrender And I listen to God. He wants to tell me the same things he told me at the beginning. I have a plan for you. I've prepared a work for you. And it's my work. And I'm bringing all of the work together. Don't worry. Delight in me. He wants that. And we experience that through prayer. Our heart is dancing in the fields again. If we delight in the right thing. So ask yourself. It's a tough morning. I'm asking a lot of questions. That's okay. These questions hopefully lead to life. Another question Do you only delight if and when God gives you what you need for your work? Do you only delight in the request and receive? Oh, I prayed this and He gave it. Do you only delight in that? Or do you delight in being used by God for His work? Paradigm shift. If you primarily experience delight in the Lord only when and if God grants you your requests, your personal desires for your personal kingdom, for your personal projects in the world, that's not the kind of joy and delight that Jesus promises he wants to give to you. You're misunderstanding the relationship between God and delight. But there's another way. There's another way, a better way. The Apostle Paul had this down better than anyone. In 2 Corinthians 7.4, another scripture I didn't give George. <laughs> Paul says this. This is a short one. Paul writes, in all our affliction, and he talks about that. You go read it. He talks about all the things that have happened to him on his being commissioned and sent out by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, in all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy or delight. In all of our affliction, I am overflowing. Not despite all of our affliction, not we have a lot of affliction, but we also have a lot of joy. It's, no, in our affliction, we are overflowing with delight. It's totally different. Have you experienced the second source of delight? That accompanies you regardless of the outcome or the ease of life. Have you experienced the delight of the Lord? That's the delight of the Lord. That even in your affliction, you can and also experience delight like you never believe. Because God is with you and you're surrendered to his plan for your life. That's what God, that's what Jesus is promising. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I had a whole thing about coaching because I'm coaching my son's basketball team. I don't have time for it. It's great. Jesus is a coach. <laughs> Dang it. I'm being so self controlled right now. I've got a whole page about a coaching analogy. <clears throat> I'll give you the Cliff Notes. <laughs> I can't do it, George. George, I can't do it, brother. <clears throat> the cliff notes is this. You've got a great coach in Jesus, and he's invited you to play in the greatest game, the ga- only game that actually matters. And he's invited you. Now, it doesn't matter how much playing time you get. doesn't matter what your position is, that you're being invited by the coach. But if you fundamentally think of the coach as the person that helps you progress your athletic career, you will always be disappointed in your coach. You always say, Coach, you could have done more. Coach, you could have helped more. Coach, you could have given me more playing time. Coach, we could have won more games. Coach, I would have got drafted higher. But if you think that you're there to serve the team and the coach, and whatever the coach thinks is, is the point of the program, you can always delight in your coach. Your coach is there for you. Your coach shows up to every practice. Your coach works with you and gives you encouragement and also correction. Your coach is trying to do something far bigger than just advance your career. And when you realize that, you can actually delight in your coach. That's my coach analogy. You get to participate in the Father's plans, the Creator's plans. You get to participate in God's mission. You get to participate and be used and be called off the bench. Before you were a Christian, you were on the bench. Or you were just in another gym somewhere doing your own thing. And the creator of the universe called you by name, brought you onto the team, sat you on the bench, and at some point he'll say, time to get in the game. And you get to say yes. But if you're not sitting there waiting, listening for your name to be called, you're going to miss it or if you don't like the way he's using her or thinks he could use you differently, you're going to miss it. And so fundamentally, Jesus is saying, when you get that you get to be a part of my mission, which is the Father's mission, and be used to bring glory to the Father through the Son, which is for the good of all the cosmos, then it will draw you to prayer. And when you pray for anything that is related to that mission, that plan, that kingdom, Jesus says, I'll say yes. And then you can delight. Delight in getting to play with the king. For the king. And that everything that you do won't be wasted. But will all be used in some way that you can't even understand for his glorious plans. Delight in that, my friends. Delight If you don't have delight in your heart to hear that, to hear your name, let's talk. Let's get together. Let's have coffee. Let's figure out where the block is. What what are you missing about the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We need more delight, not just less frustration. We need more delight through prayer, through playing, (laughs) through enjoying. Can you delight in being asked by God to do the Father's work? Because the Father is most glorified when you are most delighted in Him. Let's pray.